0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real-time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome,
1: welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers and especially the startup game changers, you are in the right place. This is season 4. We are live. It's January 30th, 2018, and all I have to say is where is the year going? We're almost done with the first month. Woohoo! We have a great panel today, but let me see what the buzz on the street is. Okay, I have a quote from 1997. Yes, yeah, Steve Jobs addressing the Apple World De- Worldwide Developers Conference. Here's what he said. I'm actually as pre- of the things we haven't done as the things I have done Innovation is saying no to 1,000 things so what can we take away from that well a couple of keywords let's focus on innovation let's talk about things we haven't done and have done and let's look at the conference the idea of developers so we are talking about today the disruptors dilemma. What have you done? What have you done? What should you be doing? Let me give a little more introduction here. The million-dollar question for those of you who want to disrupt technology in any way, shape, or form anywhere in the world – Do you compete or do you collaborate with established players in your target market? Now, think about that. Are you going to go up head-to-head, toe-to-toe against a giant? Or are you going to shake hands, put your arm around their shoulders, say, okay, let's find a way to collaborate? But it's even more complex than that. Think about the companies, the established players, what I call the behemoth enterprises, who are already there. Maybe their ideas aren't that fresh anymore, but they do have an established market share, they have a profit. They know what they're doing. They've been in business, and you're just starting out. So what's happening on that side of the equation? We're going to call them incumbent companies for the purpose of the show. Many of them may be aware of you, the disruptor, what you're up to, what you're thinking, what marketing tentacles you put out there already in the technosphere. But they have a couple of options, too. They could look for the best, and they could acquire. Uh huh. They could buy you. Maybe you'll be lucky for that, maybe not. Or they have another option. They can disrupt their own company by exploring, investing in incubators, and rolling in innovations similar to yours on their own timetable. There's so much to talk about, and all I could say is, hmm. So, our topic again today is the disruptors dilemma. and I think disruptors is not only from the standpoint of the startup, but of the companies who are already out there. Great panel today. Let me tell you who they are just very briefly. First up, I'll be speaking in a moment to Yusuf Jazakala, founder and director of Recruitment Smart Technologies, and we'll give him some time to talk about what his company does and what his goals are. Also, speaking today, with Frederick Ronce, my French is in good pronunciation, I hope, Frederick, founder and CEO of OVinto, O-V-I-N-T-O, and he'll tell us what he does. And rounding out the panel, we're very pleased to welcome back a guest from last year and the year before. He is Mayank Matter, M-A-T-H-U-R. He leads the value engineering team at the SAP Startup Focus program. And a quick shout out to Christina Sosa and Manju Banzal. Christina helped put this together and Manju and Christina sponsor the series season four, Christina, where has the time gone? So let's go around the table first to Yusuf Jazakala. And Yusuf has sent me a quote from Elon Musk. Here's the quote. Failure is an option here. If things are not failing, you're not innovating enough. Yusuf, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Uh, Thank you very much for having me here. Delighted. Talk to me about this quote. Elon Musk, he's at the top of his game. He started a new company called The Boring. He's trying to go underground and have some kind of a high-speed underground tunnel railway between New York and D.C. He's going to break all the barriers. He's got SpaceX. He's got Tesla. Talk to me. What does this quote mean to our topic today, Yusuf?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Elon Musk is one of the two great visionaries of our time, you know, after Steve Jobs. And, you know, I'm a really big fan uh, of what he is doing right now. And, and I think he has been a role model for me, uh, particularly in terms of how he addresses, uh, you know, the challenges of disruption uh, within all the companies that he is working on. So, I mean, um, at the age of 45, uh, he has already disrupted seven industries. And, and he is still going strong. Um, and, you know, this particular quote is... Um, It's an old one, but uh, he made this when people started comparing his startup, which is uh, SpaceX, to NASA. You know, I'm saying, how will you compete against NASA? And what he told Mm me is that, uh, you know, in NASA, uh, there is a quote saying, you know, failure is not an option. You know, they always succeed at whatever they do. And and that's how he said that, you know, my company, uh, failure is always an option. And this is very much, uh, you know, the ethos of disruption. Um, you cannot do anything uh, if you are too afraid to fail. And uh, you know, in a, in a disruptive environment, rejection should not be considered as a failure. Uh, giving up is a failure. So I think that is very much uh, you know the ethos uh, you know behind the court And uh, you know, in terms of uh, within the agenda for today, um, what he has done is you know Elon Musk. Uh, he has disrupted many industries. You know so. He disrupted uh, you know the payments industry with PayPal when he started his career. Uh, he is now disrupting the solar industry, um, I with solar panels and roof tiles. Mm-hmm. And I think in this particular industry, he is following the competing approach. So he is competing with other companies like IG and, and other players in the space. Similarly, I think in the electric car um, Tesla, uh, he is both competing and collaborating with incumbents. So he got the uh, investment from Mercedes. Um, Earlier, and I think a lot of the parts used in Tesla cars are from Mercedes as well. Uh, similarly, I think in SpaceX he is competing, and uh, I think he is really you know trying to find innovative ways. Uh, so, for example, we talked about boring, and uh, you know traditionally, if people want to raise money for their startups, they will either go to VC's or they will borrow from friends and family. But what Elon Musk is doing is he is using his own brand name to sell. Uh, things like flamethrowers flame, flame and boom hats, and he has raised some four to five million dollars, you know just using his brand name, which is a very innovative way, I would say you know to raise money for his company. Uh, so yeah is it, a fantastic um, you know role model and uh, something that I think we should all be like.
1: Thank you very much, Yusuf. Great start. Thank you so much. I'm going to move to our second guest, Frederick Ronse. Monsieur Ronse. We practiced that, didn't we, Frederick, on our prep call? He's the founder and CEO of Ovinto. And after we go through the panel and come around to the what's in your cup today, I'll ask Frederick and Yusuf to tell us what their companies do. Frederick has selected a quote from Francis Bacon. Now, many of our listeners may be clueless. Francis Bacon, aka the first Viscount, or if you're French, you might say Vicount, St. Alban, PCKC, 1561 to 1626, not exactly a contemporary of ours, an English philosopher, statesman, scientist, juror, jurist, orator, and author, attorney general, and Lord Counts Chancellor of England, and he was knighted in 1603. And here is the quote, in order for the light to shine so brightly, the darkness must be present. Is this ominous, Frederick? Welcome to Game Changers. How are you?
3: Good, thank you very much for having me
1: uh, thank A pleasure,
3: you. Uh, talk to me <laughs> uh, Well, Francis Bacon um, normally we, we you know uh, a very famous quote from, from the guy and it's uh, knowledge is power uh, and it's a paragraph because uh, sometimes they say data will be the new oil but it's going always to the same phrase that he said knowledge is power and he's, he's seen as being the father of modern science um, and in a way, when I was thinking about disruption, it was always like the same and knowledge is power. And I said that everyone uses that phrase. So I, uh, I went and I, I looked what the guy uh, also said from other uh, uh, what other quotes he, he said. And so I saw in order to for the light to shine so brightly, the darkness must be present. And I said, oh my god, for me this is this is what disruption is all about. Disruption mm. means something is happening you have never seen before, and you were not expecting, not at all, because uh, all noses were directed in one direction, and suddenly one nose (laughs) was pointing out the other way, and the other way is doing much better than uh, the the traditional way. So uh, in a way, when an industry is not innovative anymore, and everyone is doing the same, uh, and trying to do the same a little bit better than the rest, it means that the darkness is there. You're not seeing new stuff. You're not seeing new initiatives. And then uh, at that moment, if there is a small light, it means by default it will shine so brightly because all the rest is darkness. And in a way, I, I think that is disruption uh, and innovation that really, uh, in all, uh, really is mind blowing from time to time. That you say, oh my god, why didn't we think of that before? Uh, yeah. So so. I found that quote from Francis Bacon, uh, a very, very relevant quote, quote when we are speaking about innovation and disruption.
1: Frederick, I think we have just been listening to wonderful prose from you. That was beautiful. (laughs) It was was, was very eloquent, very elegant. Thank you so much. I I thought it might be ominous, but you're absolutely right. If there's darkness, if nothing is there. And we're going to talk about the different flavors of disruption, as I mentioned, Frederick. And I know we have Yusuf back and and waiting for, I'm going to introduce Mayank Metter in a moment, Uh, the, the concept that disrupting can come from inside a company, from outside. It could be an acquisition, a collaboration a competition uh, a hackathon it can be a lot of things so we'll talk about where that darkness is and maybe the darkness is you just don't know where you're going to go next and take that brilliant idea so thank you so much very inspirational quote Frederick looking forward to a lot more from you and now we're welcoming back a previous panelist Mayank Matter uh, from SAP Startup Focus Program and Mayank has sent us a quote from Clay Christensen come on everybody you know Clay Christensen he is the author in particular we'll talk about his research his recent book, The Innovator's Dilemma, when new technologies cause great firms to fail. Oh, my. Clayton Christensen is an innovation expert who says outstanding companies could do everything right and still lose their market leadership or, worse, disappear altogether. He focuses on disruptive technology, showing why most companies miss out on new waves of innovation, and it's perfect for our topic today. Here is the quote that Mayank has selected from Mr. Christensen. Quote, disruptive technology should be framed as a marketing challenge, not a technological one. Mayank, welcome back. How have you been?
4: Uh, Bonnie, thanks again for having me back. This is probably my third time, I think, on the show. And a big shout out to you and Christina from SAP to making this happen. And also hello to Yusuf and Frederick from our Starter Focus
1: program. Thank you. Lovely, lovely introduction. It's very nice to hear your voice as well. I'm very intrigued with the quote, and I'm especially intrigued because we're calling this episode of our season four debut, Mayank. We're calling it The the Disruptor's Dilemma, and you have picked a quote from Christensen, whose book is The Innovator's Dilemma. So talk to me about how this quote makes sense.
4: You know, uh, Bonnie, um, the moment you saw the topic here and you try and look up the topic, I mean, this is the name that comes up first, and this is the book that they reference. Um, and um, this book and this and Clayton have been pretty much the guiding light um, for this kind of a topic. Um, I was, while I was going mm-hmm. to do research on this topic, both, I, I read that both Steve Jobs and uh, at some point of time Elon Musk have referenced this book. And um, and they have said that this was of um, a big influence to how they thought um, and about running their companies. So I think it was more appropriate to have a quote from Clayton and um, the book, and that was the main reason to to have this uh, listed.
1: I appreciate that. Now, let's just go a little bit deeper, if you don't mind, into the quote. Marketing challenge versus technological one. Do you think this is obvious? Is this something that companies, uh, disruptive technology should be framed? Are we talking in this reference, do you think, Mayank, referencing a company that's established what we're calling an incumbent on the show today, that they yeah. – may not see this as a marketing challenge They may say, we need new technology, we need new developers. And and Christensen is saying it is a marketing challenge. Can you comment on that, please?
4: Sure. I was personally quite intrigued by this comment. I thought about it for yeah. a while and I said, hmm, wow, uh, this is not what you're really thinking. And, um, you know, this is a great show for, for me representing SAP, being with a, a big company like SAP for many years. And, on a day-to-day basis for the past five years, I've been working with companies like with, with Frederick and Yusuf. And every now and then I hear these great startup founders who come by us and, and pitch their products and, and applications and companies and then say, hey, look, this is the great new technolo- technology area. This is the the innovative um, solution that we are bringing to the market, so on and so forth. And the focus is on technology. And then you kind of realize that, hey, uh, Probably that was this a good fit? Is this is there a market for this? And uh, you go back and try and and then put a coat like this in context, and you realize um, that probably what Chris Clayton is is trying to emphasize is that you can have a great technology, but if it is not ready for the market, it may fail. And I think um, we have seen that happen several times. Uh, we've seen that even in um, you know, innovative companies uh, like like the early products they re- they use these re- uh, the companies uh, reference like Netflix um, mm-hmm. or um, or even Uber that they said uh, in the early days it was great technology but it couldn't find a market and um, and it didn't fail these companies and obviously it didn't fail as we know of them today but there are several other references where you have a great uh, technology but no market. So hence I was this this kind of made made us make makes you think um that yes great technology is, is a key driver, but is there a market? And if you have a a great technology, you should look at it as a marketing um you know, challenge rather than uh, then framing it um as, as as no way to fit. So so I think in that context this this cult makes a lot of sense.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I'm going to circle back around to Yusuf, who we have him back and rumor has it he's on a terrifically clear line right now. Yusuf, this is the part of the show where we call ourselves what's in your cup today. And I usually ask, where are you calling from? I know we have called you, so where are you in the world today? Tell us what you love to drink, what energizes you as a disruptor, and then we'd love for you to spend just about two minutes telling us about the company you founded that you're representing today, Recruitment Smart Technologies. Youssef, it's all yours
2: thank you Bonnie uh, yeah I think uh, the voice is, is clear now uh, so yes yeah, um, I would say uh, that my favorite drink uh, is coconut water Ooh. and um, I think that might uh, <laughs> that might surprise you and a lot of other people but uh, the thing is you know during uh, my childhood uh, I had the luxury of drinking coconut water which was freshly sourced from coconut palm trees on the same day. Mm. And I think that has very much stayed with me, uh, you know, all throughout my life. And uh, when I uh, drink coconut water, I always uh, feel nostalgic and, you know, uh, you know, feel, you know, kind of uh, back to the old days, you know, when, um, you know, I feel very energized uh, always. And I think that has remained my favorite drink till now.
1: Very, very interesting. Tell us about your company, please. And where are you? You didn't tell us where you are today. I am,
2: uh, I'm being in London, uh, UK.
1: Okay. What time uh, is it there right the, now? Uh,
2: it's around 5.20. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's tea time. It's to the end of the world. Yeah? Yes. But it's I think tea, we are still tea? very much. Uh,
1: <laughs> so, tell us about it's your company. Time. When did you start your company? What do you do, Yusuf? Yes. Yeah, um, I am the co-founder of Recruitment
2: Smart Technologies. Um, we started around three years back. And um, you know our flagship product is called Sniper AI. And Sniper AI is all about using artificial intelligence to disrupt the recruitment process in the large organizations. Now, organizations all over the world are always looking to hire the best candidates. And, and you know, the process is very much broken. So traditionally, you know, it's a very slow process. It's very manual. And it doesn't deliver a good hiring experience for either the candidate or the recruiter in most mm-hmm. of the cases. Uh, so I think we are looking to change that. Um, and, you know, we are using the latest uh, AI and machine learning technologies to ensure that candidates only hear about the jobs which they would be interested in and vice versa. Uh, and that way, you know, People don't waste each other's time uh, chasing opportunities which um, you know they wouldn't like to do. So our goal is to have a happy world where each and every person in the world is happy with their jobs. Um, and you know, large uh, organizations are able to use our technology and save a lot of time and effort. And you know, some of our largest customers are using our product to hire more than uh, twenty thousand candidates. Per year. So it is quite a, um, you know, big challenge, and I'm really excited, um, you know, to talk about some of the strategies that we're using to disrupt this uh, space and, you know, how we are using a combination of uh, collaborative and competing approach, um, you know, against the incumbents.
1: That's what I was going to ask you, and you said a combination. Good. Let's just leave that on the table for when we go into the roundtable in a few minutes. Thank you. Really, a pleasure to know you, and I'm, I'm I'm very proud. I don't I barely know you, but I'm very proud of everything you've accomplished. It sounds very exciting, and you sound very focused. And I think that's what it takes: being excited about what you've got to offer, being focused on how to develop it, get it to market, and then get the world to pay attention to something really good. Thank you, Frederick Ronset, Monsieur at Ovinto. Who, S, where are you in the world? What do you love to drink and tell us what in the world is Ovinto? My French is really not good today. Go ahead, Frederick.
3: Um, thank you. So uh, I'm calling from uh, Belgium, a uh, half-an-hour drive from Brussels, uh, you know, uh, the capital of Europe. Uh, it's about 6.30 in the evening now, so it's uh, wine time because uh, I really like to drink a good glass of red wine. <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, it's, it's something we drink a lot over here. <laughs> uh, and um, what is Ovinto? Well, we try to make rail freight sexy. Uh, it sounds maybe strange, but um, mm. we want to make rail freight efficient because it's still being handled and managed like 100 years ago. And it still depends on a lot of human uh, manual interactions. Uh, And if we would be able to make that a little bit more efficient, uh, it's only bringing benefits to everyone, uh, but also to society. Uh, A lot of studies have shown that if we would put 4% more freight into rail cargo, we would immediately reduce 9% of um, uh, truck transport on the roads, uh, meaning that there would be less congestions, uh, less fuel emission, less CO2, so uh, in a way uh, yeah it has a it has a a good upwards uh, a positive side um how do we try to do that we're a, a big data company anyway we will we will try to connect all possible data sources that are relevant for your rail freight uh, to 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 make your business more efficient to give a, a black and white example uh, very often you have your planning saying that today you should receive 15 wagons with raw material. But when you look in your garden, you only have 13 wagons uh, because one of your suppliers uh, took more time to send them and uh, you, you didn't have any way of knowing it until the moment that they should be on your garden and they're not there. So that means that sometimes you have a near shutdown in your factory because you don't have enough raw material. What we Mm -hmm. do is we collect all the data sources from the scanning of the wagons to uh, track and trace to the planning of the suppliers, the customers, everyone to calculate upfront with machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, the exact amount of tonnage that is coming in the direction of your company to be able to say two days upfront, whoa, uh, Bonnie, take care. There's not enough material coming your way. You're risking a near shutdown in a couple of hours. Do something. And the more transports we do, the, the the better the system gets because it's a self-learning system. And then after a while, we'll be able to tell you, Bonnie, you can reduce your safety stock because you will not have those ruptures anymore. So that's uh, a bit what we do. We we try to connect data to make uh, an old, archaic business a bit more efficient. Uh, but it's not always easy because uh, when we're talking about incumbents, uh, a lot of very, very large companies in rail freight uh, and in railway sector uh, are making a lot of money uh, because of the inefficiency of the others so they like inefficiencies and that's not always uh, easy to change especially uh, when you're in a Europe with 27 different countries never agreeing on standards and all wanting to do their Mm -hmm. own stuff (laughs) but uh, yeah it's fun so it's rail freight making sexy
1: Thank you well you used the word sexy and fun in the comment with talking about rail freight and and you mentioned yeah. just 4 4% four difference in the amount of of cargo or unload will make a difference very very interesting uh, thank you thank you for the introduction to your company yeah, my and now let's go to Mayank Metter Mayank where are you calling from today and what's in your cup today and any quick comments on your your uh, dealings with both of these very smart gentlemen go ahead Mayank
4: Uh, Bonnie, I'm in a sunny Bay Area, uh, Silicon Valley. It's around 9.30 a.m., and I'm having a glass of red wine, too. I'm sorry, just Um, (laughs) kidding. But now I'm having some green tea or had some green tea earlier in the morning. And, um, Bonnie, I think uh, this is great for us to have um, Frederick and Yusuf, um, part of what we do here at SAP and especially my role Is to work with our early stage um, partners um, in the in the form of startups. We also work with slightly larger companies that we call as mature ISVs. And one of the key reasons we work with them is to bring out the value of SAP solutions. Have these companies adopt these SAP solutions, build, uh, or integrate to uh, the SAP technology and applications. And then, um, you know, go to market um, in different channels. So I've been really uh, lucky in the last couple of years to work with, uh, you know, 300-plus startups that have uh, passed through our program. And um, this has been a really uh, exciting period, not only for me, but uh, for the program as well. And we have seen in the last couple of years that uh, these very companies – um, and, and this very topic that we are discussing uh, is, uh, has caused uh, a, a lot of disruption. These companies, uh, several of them have have uh, so-called exited in the startup world uh, to mm-hmm. be either bought, they have gone IPO, and uh, they are really doing well. And uh, this is just a testament of this topic itself that, hey, look, um, this is very relevant. And uh, overall, uh, I wish good luck to these, uh, these young companies.
1: Thank you, Mayock. And, and gentlemen, if you'll allow me, before we go to break, I found an interesting article in the New York Times this morning. Under the, I believe it was the business section. I can check that. Uh, the title of the article is For His Next Act, and it's about Ken Chenault, C-H-E-N-A-U-L-T. You may know the name. He's retired as the chief executive of American Express, and apparently there was a, a feeding frenzy on who was going to get him to come to their company next. What would he do? And he has gone to a venture capital firm very interesting. But in the interview in the Times, let me just quote a little something. Maybe we can briefly go around the table. I know this wasn't in our our discussion statements before the show, but I found it interesting. He says, the median time to IPO has risen dramatically over the last decade, from 4.9 years back in 2006 to 8.3 years in 2016, according to a report from PitchBook, which is a data company that tracks deals. Airbnb has been private for 10 years. Uber has been private for nine, and they're talking about the fact that how long will a startup stay in private mode versus going public and becoming perhaps part of other opportunities for other companies to compete and to collaborate and maybe to to merge and to buy them. So any quick comments on the amount of time? The early stage growth is lasting a long time, and there don't seem to be any quick sales or quick IPOs anymore. Uh, Yusuf Jazakala, do you want to make a comment on this? Yes,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, I think one of the reasons uh, for this is that venture capital is much more freely available now, uh, you know, than it was before. And hence, uh, you know, companies who are looking to scale up are able to access these sources of funding. And that is why they are able to delay going to IPO uh, and, you know, increase their valuations. And, uh, you know, and then I think they are able to remain private for much longer Um than before, I think that is one of the key reasons why uh, uh, you know the median uh, time has increased uh, over a period of time. It's, it's easy access to other forms of funding uh, you know, compared to
1: IPOs. Thank you. Anybody else? Want, who was that? Who was speaking? Remind me.
3: I was. Uh, I was thinking that it's my. Um, okay. It's a bit logical. Frederick. Also, from, from mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> from the point that. Uh, uh, the info is much uh, easier accessible these days, uh, and when you're a startup or a scale-up, you need to go through rough waters. You will have a lot of storms uh, to sail through, uh, and when you're in a public company, you will be um, you will be punished uh, when you're in those storms. Which means that uh, those companies prefer to stay private and grow until they're strong enough to to to, to be in. Calmer waters, to to say it in that way. So I think it's normal that it's taking longer before you go to the market.
1: Thank you very much. Anybody else want to comment before we go to break? I thought that was an interesting sidebar. Anybody?
4: So, so Maybe Bonnie, I'll uh, just build up on uh, what yeah. the gentleman just said, uh, Bonnie, yes. that uh, um, another key reason we see, especially being here in the Bay Area, uh, we see a lot of startup activity, and there's just constant reporting that hey, look, there's very little pressure, or not as much pressure, on these companies to show uh, profitability. Right? Um, you can see that even to the up until recently, Amazon, which has been in the business for a very long time as a public company, doesn't really have a so-called policy of showing profit. They reinvest, and um, that was okay to do. And uh, we see that kind of a trend that hey uh, Tesla has not generated a profit uh, even in years after going public even to this date. So um, these these other companies that are kind of waiting to go public, um, you know, they, they are they're like the, uh, the comment earlier is that they are trying to build up um, and, and push off any kind of um, pressure on showing profitability as long as they can, and hence trying uh, and staying private. Uh, for a long time.
1: Thank you very much. We went around the table, and now it's time for me to give all of you a break. We're running a little late, but that's fine. So we are talking about the disruptor's dilemma, the innovator's dilemma, the big company versus little company dilemma, who's going to win the race, who is going to gobble up or collaborate or compete or shake the hand or get in the bed with what other companies to make sure companies that are big and established get the infusion of the technology they need to stay alive. I hope I put that all together well. We're speaking with three very, very smart panelists, Yusuf Jazakala at Recruitment Smart Technologies, Frederick Ronse R-O-N-S-E, at Ovinto, who makes uh, rail railcar uh, cargo very sexy and fun, according to his own words, and Mayank Mitter at SAP Startup. Again, shout out to Christina Sosa and Manju Banzal at SAP. We're going to take a quick break. You know the drill. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. 90 seconds. You can count along with us. We'll be right back. And Yusuf will start the roundtable
0: In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like Big Data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line? If you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big Data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit W www.sap.com. With new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line? You need to define what's going to set you apart, and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com.
1: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram.com. At sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to startup focus with Game Changers.
1: We're back. Season four debut. Welcome, welcome back. We have a lot to talk about here. We're going to kick off the roundtable with Yusuf Jazakala. He has sent me some very provocative notes here. Let me just read a little bit, and then I'll ask him to explain something that's going to be, I think, fascinating for our audience around the world, as well as good fodder for a lively discussion among the rest of the panelists. So, Yusuf says, he captions this title, behind Between a Rock and a Hard Place. He says, for disruptors entering a crowded market, need Neither collaboration nor competing is an option because the incumbent companies, meaning the established players, may not be willing to collaborate, and the disruptor may not have the resources to directly compete. So Yusuf is going to explain to us a situation he faced in his current startup. He says the disruptor has three options. Let me just give the titles, Yusuf, and then you can tell us. One is stealth mode approach. Sneak up on them. Two is customer brute force. Oh, my. And number three is pseudo Positioning, Yusuf. Please tell us more. Very interesting.
2: Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, yeah, um, so I think um, uh, you know for for disruptors who are entering a crowded market, which is where we are positioned positioned as you know within uh, recruitment smart technologies. I think uh, we have successfully used uh, you know all these three approaches, and you know this is something that uh, I have come up with myself, so it's us all made up. Uh, so I think the first approach is uh, stealth mode which is, you know, we, we launched the technology in stealth mode, and uh, nobody knows about it. There is no website. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we start uh, pushing it to some of our key contacts. Um, so, you know, we try and get it adopted by some initial customers. And, uh, and once the customers are happy with that, and once we get a market positioning, um, then we sort of go all out in the market and basically take the incumbents by surprise. Um, so I think um, I think we have used this successfully uh, for our own product, and um, you know there are other companies like zook for example, in the automotive industry. Uh, they have been funded uh, up to 300 million, and you know they are creating autonomous vehicles. So they they are they are very much launched in stealth mode, um, so that you know other companies like GM, Ford, uh, and Toyota cannot basically copy uh, you know what they are doing and come up to market before them. So I think that's the first approach. The second approach, uh, I would say, which disruptors can use, is the customer brute force, and this is something that, um, again, you know, we have used very successfully, um, where I think the product is really good and the customers are loving it. Um, mm. But for some reason, uh, of course, not some reason, but obviously, you know, the, the incumbents are not willing to collaborate because. They worry that, you know, once this product becomes big, they will either overpower them or, or they will compromise their market share. So in that case, uh, you you ask the customer to force the incumbent to collaborate with you. And this strategy works really well because, uh, you know, the incumbent uh, has, wants to maintain a good relationship with your customer and, uh, you know, they will do um, everything in their power to to maintain that relationship. And hence, you know, if if your customer is asking the incumbent to collaborate with you in the interest of the customer, then I think uh, it is a shotgun wedding, uh, but it works. Um, You know, so I think that's something that we have used uh, very successfully. Um, So I think Uber um, is another company, you know, which is using this, where they try and uh, create petitions and, you know, they try and generate positive public opinion. To fight against governments, you know, who are not allowing Uber to operate in certain countries. Uh, I mean, that is certainly happening in London right now. You know, where uh, one of the petitions uh, got more than 500,000 signatures. Um, so, I think the third approach is pseudo-positioning, where uh, you know you position the product initially uh, in a way where it is complementing the incumbent product. So, what that does is. It allows you to create a win-win situation with the incumbent. Uh, so you use that to establish your market footing uh, and to get market share. And uh, once you get that, uh, you start showing your true true colors. So you sh- start showing your true product. You know what you are really looking for, and and the way you are kind of your marketing and product. So you change that after that, so that it becomes easier for you to then expand. Uh, so I think these these three strategies, uh, you know, are really good and. They can be used uh, by other companies as well. Um, and we have used
1: them successfully. So, Thank yeah. you, Yusuf. Very, very interesting. I'm going to ask, they'll go around the table and first ask Frederick Ronsay at Ovinto, are these controversial? Have you heard of these before? Agree or disagree? Have you tried any? Any or all of the above? Just add your comments, please, Frederick. All yours.
3: Thank you. Um, I, I would say I agree. Uh, there's a lot of ways to compete or to collaborate so the, the, the customer brute force is, is competition eh? that is full blown competition front to front but a stealth mode approach uh, or the pseudo positioning uh, could be seen as a way of collaborating and I think every single situation will make that the, the, the little one the, the weaker one will have to adopt uh, and adapt to to, to to make sure that he survives, and, and, and to make sure that he's able to grow, so I, I would say, yeah, I agree. I agree with what uh, Yusuf said.
1: Thank. Have you tried any of these? Are, are you behind one of the customer brute force approaches, or the or the uh, Have you snuck up on people? What do you think?
4: So we're
3: a little bit in stealth mode, uh, but on the other side, um, we, we also position ourselves as a complementary product. Um, uh, because we know if we help the big guys, uh, we will become stronger, uh, and, and when we're strong enough, then we'll maybe be able to, to, to go in direct competition. So I would say we do a, uh a, a slight combination of, of stealth and pseudo positioning.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I want to get Mayank in on this, and then Yusuf will circle around to you and get your thoughts. Mayank, what do you agree or disagree with these three? Have you seen them in your vast experience working with startups? Have you seen one more than the other, the two?
4: yeah. yeah uh, Bonnie, definitely agree. And I think what I'd like to add is, um, you know, you have the stealth mode approach. Um, you have the way to kind of pseudo-collaboration approach. Um, another thing that we have seen, and that's also kind of referenced in Clayton's book, is um, a lot of these companies that uh, try and reach a customer base which is not of that interest or has not been touched by the incumbent. And uh, a good example of this was in the early days, uh, Netflix started reaching a whole lot of international um, viewers or, 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 or viewers or, or customers who wanted international content something that you typically didn't, uh, you know, walk into a Blockbuster store and and pick something. So Mm -hmm. um, that allowed Netflix to reach a whole bunch of customers who would simply mail in. At that time, obviously, there was was no streaming. And uh, that's another example that's used in this book is how they built this base, which Blockbuster was not really interested in. And Mm -hmm. it's only when they realize that things have caught up to them um, uh, you know, the result was game over for them very quickly. So this yeah. is another approach that we have seen with our, um, the companies that we work with that you don't, and then again, you don't want to compete with a, uh, an SAP or an Oracle because you're likely to be crushed right away if they yep. know what they're doing. So hence they try and reach a smaller market, a smaller segment and, uh, build out a customer base. So that is another approach that we see and it's complementing to what was said earlier.
1: Thank you very much, Yusuf. You started this. Obviously, it's a very interesting and provocative part of our discussion. Yusuf, any comments on what your co-panelists just shared?
2: No, I, I think uh, there has been a general agreement uh, on on all the approaches, uh, and I think uh, Mayank mentioned the Netflix example, which is uh, you know a very interesting uh, company. I mean, they uh, you know they entered this as a new entrant, and uh, and you know they have managed to disrupt uh, you know the um, you know this uh, this space you know in, in a really big way and um, at the moment you know they are they are the market leaders i mean and uh, uh, they are the only company uh, who are able to actually increase their prices and have the sub, uh, the number of subscribers go up at the same time as well you know I mean which company can boast that so that really proves uh, you know the 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 value proposition that they are delivering to their customers and you know the they, they are so that's why they are so successful.
1: Thank you very much. I'm going to move on. I want to make sure we keep going. Uh, We're about, ooh, about, five minutes from our predictions round but I I want to make sure we might have to do a part two on this topic and I'll let you know how we're going to work that out but Frederick Grancet I'm looking at your notes here and here's a, a very interesting part I don't think we've covered this you talk about go innovate you put an exclamation point you put quotes around it and I think that's a mantra a lot of people tell companies just go out and innovate and your comment is innovation under pressure often does not work forcing groups and teams to start to innovate Will often bring very poor results. It doesn't come out of frustration. Why don't you give us a little sidebar on this, Frederick? Just because uh, we're talking about disruption, but we haven't really talked about the innovation process. So tell me more, please.
3: Well, um, as I said, uh, uh, innovation doesn't really work under pressure. I think if if you if you go to your engineering, you say. Find me something like Steve Jobs. Do something really innovative. Be, be the, the next only guy in the world that did this. Uh, well, you'll have a, a very uh, low hit rate in doing it. Um, and uh, I see that a lot now, that, that everyone is more looking at uh, how it is done than uh, really doing it. So so everyone is talking about innovation. We should innovate in our company. But they, they forget how, how it uh, mostly goes. It's like... Uh, most of the time, real disruptions come from uh, something you never saw coming before. It's like uh, the, the, the guy who made a, a computer, he, he was he wanted to make a calculation machine. He didn't want to make a typewriter, but suddenly, out of the blue, the whole typewriter, typewriter market was blown away. And that was probably a spinoff from his calculation machine idea. So I think innovation... I think we we have to constantly look at things that frustrate us uh, or, or where we are not really happy or oh, this, this, this should be done in a different way or done in a better way. And then from time to time, you get a really good idea. So uh, I think innovation, we should... Uh, make the culture or the environment as friendly as possible to be able to find those ideas. But I think we cannot innovate on on command. That it's, it's very, very
2: difficult to do that.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. We put the human brand, the human touch on that. Let's quickly go around the table. May I agree or disagree with what Frederick just suggested?
4: I can, Bonnie, absolutely agree. And I think we see that um, in in, in uh, pretty much uh, quite literally in the, in the in the group and the team that we work in, right? I mean, I'm working in a team uh, where we are supposed to find um, these innovative companies, right? And again, just like you can't be a company creating innovation overnight, uh, you don't also just find these innovative companies, uh, you know, across the street. Um, so hence, I. Uh, you know, this is also very applicable to what we do in a large company because, as Frederick said, uh, what it, it, it's, we've seen um, uh, that's happening in pretty much all these large companies is all of a sudden there are multiple innovative or innovation groups that have sprung up. And um, this is, and then the guys who are in these teams are guys who have been working pretty much by the book for the last 20 years, but now they're supposed to be running innovation uh, innovation uh, groups. And we see that um, nothing really comes out of it, which is substantial. So I think overall, yes, it's um, it, like they say right now, uh, innovation is not a department. It's not any one person's job. Um, it is a process. And I think
2: um, this, I agree, this makes sense.
1: Thank you. Yusuf, love to get your thoughts on this
2: uh bonnie uh, i'm afraid you know i i disagree with the with a quote uh which says innovation under pressure doesn't work uh, okay. i think innovation i think necessity is the mother of invention and i think without uh pressure um uh, you know that is the only way in which you can actually motivate your teams and push your teams to do bigger better things i mean i think especially in in my company i mean uh, you know, sky is the limit. I mean, and we are always pushing people to, to go beyond, above and beyond, you know, what they are already doing. So, I mean, we have a real-time recommendations engine and, you know, which is able to uh, return results in five seconds. So I tell my team, why five seconds? You know, why can't you do it in one second? Why can't you do it in a millisecond? I mean, it <laughs> So I'll always, you know, put, put my team under pressure. I set them goals which are, you know, so, so high. They're almost unachievable.
0: And they often
2: uh, come back and surprise you. I think that is what, uh, y- y- you know, uh, that is what happens all the time. In fact, like, you know, you set unachievable goals for your team, and, and they just come uh, come back and surprise you all the time. Uh, so I think I would very much uh, disagree with this. And um, uh, I think uh, you, you, you what you do is you hire the best people, and, and then you let them work, you know, and then you set up very, high targets for them and then you know they will teach you it's not the other way around you know they will they will deliver wonderful you i think that's that's the philosophy that i believe in
1: thank you yusuf we we really appreciate controversy on the show unfortunately we're at the point where it's time for the crystal ball predictions but in all fairness uh frederick you started this and i'd love to give you 60 seconds to comment back to yusuf if you'd like to before we go back to yusuf for predictions so frederick what do you say
3: Uh, Well, I I find it uh, funny and interesting because he's right. (laughs) Pressure will often help you to become much more creative. (laughs) So in a way, I should change my phrase and say innovation by command doesn't often work that well. But under pressure, yeah, it's true. Uh, People will become much more creative when when they're really under pressure.
2: That's correct. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay, good. Uh, Well, uh, I I, I like this. I
2: disagree with that as well. (laughs)
1: I know that. I I knew that was coming. Listen, we're going to go into our crystal ball predictions round. Last week I was talking about the disco ball I I bought 40 years ago. I've been lugging it wherever I move around the country, and it's 36 inches. It has a motor. It has the colored gels. It it hangs from a very tall ceiling, and it will spin around. I use it on my TV show. So we're thinking of changing the crystal ball predictions round, Mayang, to the disco ball predictions round. But however that is, I'm going to give you each 60 seconds. That's all we have. Yusuf, 60 seconds. What will change if we met again around 2020 and discuss this? Maybe you'll agree with Frederick. I don't know. Yusuf, go ahead. Fast, <laughs> it's yours. Go, go ahead, Yusuf.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, okay, uh, 2020. Uh, I think I have three things. One is uh, the future of work is changing really, really fast because of artificial intelligence. All the boring jobs are getting automated, so that is only going to leave the interesting jobs for for humans. So I think which is very which is something that I'm very excited about. Secondly, I think driverless cars are going to become a reality. And in fact, there will be certain cities where humans will not be allowed to drive a car. That is my prediction. And the third prediction is banks are going to adopt blockchain-based technologies and cryptocurrency is going to become the preferred mode of payment in the future. So those Thank you.
1: Thank you. I like that. I just finished uh, the season debut of the future of cars with game changers about an hour and a half ago. And, and uh, I said, I'm not giving up the keys to my sports car anytime soon. And I'm sticking with us. I don't care whether they tell me I can and can't drive around 2020 or 2025. And it might be age related by that. I don't know. So we're not going to go there. Frederick, Monsieur Ronse, it's time for your predictions. I have 60 seconds with your name on them. Go.
3: The, the, the biggest one in, in our line of play, and in our sector, I think that by 2020, the, the typical traditional telecom companies will be gone. Uh, there's new players in the market, eh, the GAFA boys, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. They make money in a completely different money, uh, in a different uh, model, sorry. Uh, and uh, their bottleneck is connectivity. So they don't want to ask money for connectivity. They will just provide it to the world for free. So uh, traditional telecom will drastically change, uh, and that is a very interesting one for me to see in the future because that will make uh, data even more available uh, for us and for others to work with.
1: Thank you very much. Also provocative, Monsieur mayank Mateur, I've saved 60 seconds for you. What would you like to share with us for your predictions?
4: Bunny, this is always the hard part. Again, like always, I prefer not to predict anything, which I don't know much about, but um, again, I think what what we will see, at least in our enterprise world, is that um, the, the traditional way of doing business is changing already. Um, we will see more and more of um, innovation coming from where you don't expect innovation to come from, and um, the whole nature of uh, the enterprise companies uh, working with more in a B2B environment will change and is changing and it will become more and more B2C um or B2B two C B2B two C kind of thing. And um and I think um that's probably um what what I see as happening, adopting obviously all the underlying technologies that have just been mentioned, like AI, blockchain, cryptocurrency, etc. So Again, future holds um, and look forward to it. Looks exciting.
1: Good, and you know what? The future already happened after you finished the period at the end of that sentence, and it's already the past now. That's how fast it's coming at us. I can remember when Barbara Walters was saying, 2020, and that was years ago on TV. She's off the air now, but we're looking at it. It's so close, we can almost taste it and feel it, so that's why I use it as the crystal ball or the disco ball prediction. Yusuf, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you. Frederick as well, and Mayank, it's always wonderful to have you on the show. We've got to wrap up this party, but Again, a shout-out to Christina Sosa at SAP. Christina, knock this one out of the park. Again, great, great panel. Very savvy and smart and insightful. And I love the disagreement. That makes it even more real. So thank you, Yusuf, for disagreeing with Frederick. That was, that was a gem. Really appreciated that. And Frederick sort of came back, but not all the way. So this is good stuff. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be back tomorrow morning. I'll be here with Innovation 2018, State of the Union or Disunion or whatever. Whatever. know. We're talking about innovation uh, with um, Tom Raftery at SAP has put together a spectacular panel. That's our Coffee Break with Game Changers flagship show, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the on the Business Channel. Shout out to Manju. Shout out to Christina at SAP. Aaron and the Business Channel team. Hugs to all. I'm Bonnie and here is my call to action. Gentlemen, listen up. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today, just like Yusuf Jazakala, just like Frederick Rolse, and just like me on Committer. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on The Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.